Welcome to Drop Pass Podcast, buddy. Break is over, we are back in business and simultaneously closing down 1,000 downloads pretty fast. So a massive thank you to all you who have continuously supported the show. And as I mentioned last week in my IG post, once we cross the 1K download mark, I'll be doing the highly anticipated Q&A episode as a special gift for all you listeners. And for that episode to succeed, I'm going to need your input, so pay close attention to my socials, because from there you will find the necessary link to ask all your questions. Or if you don't have the patience to wait that long, you can send the questions also by DM. All my media handles can be found from the description, so go leave a follow and join this worldwide experience. Today though, we will stick with the current NHL action as we go over the possible playoff teams and their needs ahead of the upcoming NHL trade deadline. But before we jump to the actual content itself, I have to give a massive shout out to my boy Steezy Joe, who produced the new intro music for the show which you are currently hearing. So, if you want to hear more from this talented individual, head to Spotify and check out my guy and enjoy the best beats from this side of the polar circle. But with that said, we are ready to face the new week and entirely new episode. So without further ado, let's get going. There you have it, the new intro. And actually, it wasn't even meant to be featured in last week's episode, but somehow it made its way to sound waves and I'm more than happy for the end result so I'm not complaining about it at all. But like I said today we will focus on NHL action and the main course will hold the current playoff contenders and their needs for possible playoff runs but before that we will go through some big headlines that made some noise during my break and first of all we gotta address the trade situation since things have already picked up on that front and just within weeks, we've seen two major trades which are eventually going to affect this week's main topic's outlook by themselves. So let's get into the details. Before the All-Star break, we saw the first major trade as Vancouver's former captain Bo Harvat got traded to the Islanders for Anthony Beauvillier, prospect Arthur and a 2023 first-round pick. So the indicators weren't completely off when it came to Harvard's future with the Canucks. And just a couple days ago, the Rangers broke the bank again by acquiring Vladimir Tarasenko from the St. Louis Blues alongside our previous guest, Nico Mikkola, in exchange for former Blue Samuel Play, Hunter Skinner, 2023 conditional first-round pick and 2024 conditional fourth-round choice. But first... Let's talk about the deal involving the Canucks and the Isles. A couple days after the trade announcement, the Isles ended up signing 8 times 8.5 million extension with Harvard and thus he will become the second highest paid player within the organization once his deal kicks in next year. And I gotta say that I was quite shocked to see him heading to Long Island and I bet that the contract extension was one of the main forces pushing this move to the conclusion. Because after his extension was published, Isles GM Lou Lamariello told media that it was way too long and way too much money, which seems somewhat out of place given that after all he is their general manager, so shouldn't he be one of the guys responsible for the actual signing? Well, seemingly, 
he was the voice against it. And despite that, their higher-ups ended up pushing through the move. And now they have a solid 20-30 to 30 goal scorer for the future, but it didn't come cheap. That's for sure. This really reminds me of Ropa Hintz's extension. And by looking at his numbers, you might think that this was an overpayment and... I wouldn't argue with that statement at all. They needed to address their goal-scoring problems and Horvat very much fits in that role, but still the extension and the price they paid for his services raised some eyebrows as they still need to address their other flaw, which is their blue line, with reduced assets and with no guarantee for the postseason. But more about their needs later on, so let's talk a bit about the assets they gave up in this deal. First of all, the first rounder they gave up will most likely be in the range of 15 to 25. So it's a massive game for the Canucks in a sense that the upcoming draft class is going to be even more stacked than the last year's. So overall, they have a chance to get a high value prospect with that pick. Meanwhile, Arturatu has really made major improvements during the last two years and already debuted for the Isle squad earlier this year and ended up scoring two goals in 12 contests. So he's starting to look more like a future top 9 option rather than a total bust like many expected when he fell down the draft board back in 2021. So hypothetically speaking, they got at least one future top 6 name in addition to future top 9 guy Aaturatu. And of course, Anthony Beauvillier, who has been very disappointing point-wise ever since his 39-point campaign during 1920 season. So he at least is now aiming for a rebound in his new environment, but the expectation is not that he will become a driving force in their top six, but rather a nice complementary piece in their top nine who can rack up 30 to 35 points per year. So all in all, to me, it seems to be somewhat of a high price for a guy that is going to be 36 when his contract runs out, in addition to small injury worries and a point cap, which seems to be around the 50-point mark. All I'm just saying is that without the extension, I would have seen this deal as more equal transaction, but taking into account Ratu's upside and the possibility to draft a gem in the late first round in addition to Horvath's extension, these factors start to tip the scale towards Vancouver's side, especially in the long run. And by no means am I saying that the Isles wouldn't benefit from his services, but in the big picture, I just think that the Canucks have the ability to gain way more from this deal if they end up succeeding on the draft table. Major loss for the Canucks in a sense that Horvat was an integral part of the organization and respected member of the community overall. But like I've said in the previous episodes, this was the end result of poor asset management from the franchise and this was the price they needed to pay to stay afloat. And I think that they managed to get a decent return for him because they were not willing to lose him for nothing in the offseason. They might have gotten something better closer to the deadline, but that's filled with lots of ifs and buts, so we're just going to leave it at that. And I'm going to end this by saying that I'm not going to pick winners here just yet, because I believe that the Isles are not done with their deals if they aim for the postseason, and since this move was forced by the struggling Canucks organization. And then when it comes to our most recent blockbuster, the one involving Vladimir Tarasenko, it's gotta be said that the signs were there concerning his departure from St. Louis. Given the fact that already last year the rumors started to spread about him wanting to leave the city, despite his later statements, which indicated that he would like to stay rather than move away, but 
Now that the Blues are almost completely out of the playoff race, it became pretty clear that the organization was going to try to get the best possible return for his services. Because otherwise, they could have lost him for absolutely nothing in the upcoming offseason. The Blues ended up retaining 50% of his salary in this deal, which won't affect them too much given that this is the last year of his current 7.5 million contract. And it isn't guaranteed that he will resign in New York after this year, given the free agent statuses of Philip Heedle and Kay Andre Miller, who have really stepped up this year for the Rangers, plus Alexis Lafreniere. So for a possible rental, the return was decent, but certainly I would argue that they left some value on the table in this deal, given Tarasenko's goal-scoring prowess and what Mikola can bring to their third pairing. The condition on the first rounder is that it's going to be the latter one between the Dallas's first rounder, which they got in the Niels Lundqvist deal, and their own. So regardless, it's going to be a late pick in the upcoming NHL draft. This especially supports my take since the Rangers have been missing a left-handed blue liner from their third pairing, and I wouldn't be surprised if they even add another name on their back line before the deadline is over, but... When you notice how much value Tarasenko might add to their offense core and what kind of a hole Mikola is able to fill in their backline, the return becomes even more one-sided despite their upcoming free agent statuses. I fully believe that Tarasenko will thrive in New York since just last year he recorded 82 points in 72 games and from those 34 were goals so it is undoubtable that he will for example bring more lethality to their top six not to mention their power play, which could end up featuring Kreider, Panarin, Tarasenko, Fox, and Zibanejad in the best scenario. And to me, that might be one of the strongest power play fives in the entire league on paper. And like I said, Mikola will bring his sandpaper-esque defensive play style to their shutdown pairing. And if he gets to play, for example, alongside Braden Schneider, who is known for similar attributes, You notice that he wasn't just an add-on in this deal. Especially during the playoffs, those kind of guys are needed. And when games start to get more physical and more defensively oriented, guys who thrive in the defensive zone can't be underestimated. And that's exactly why I love this deal in Rangers' perspective. They didn't end up acquiring Patrick Kane like I thought ahead of this year's campaign, but certainly my vision hasn't changed from the one I had in the preseason where this team should be one of the cup favorites when the postseason eventually rolls around. And I think that they are still going to try to enforce their lineup even more closer we get to the deadline, so keep your eyes on this team because they just become that much more lethal and are starting to perform exactly at the right time. For St. Louis though, like I said, I think they short sold in this deal despite their free agent statuses. And although the first rounder they will receive is a great asset knowing the level of the upcoming draft class, I still think that the return was underwhelming, but at least they didn't get totally fleeced or left empty-handed, which would have been the worst-case scenario here. Hunter Skinner was a fourth-round choice back in 2019 and has jumped between the ECHL and the AHL, so he doesn't bring that much value to the deal while the conditional fourth rounder will turn into third if the Rangers end up making the playoffs, which is more likely than not at this point. So at least they get some leverage from that, but very, very minimal. 
Sammy Blay is another upcoming free agent, and his point totals have really dropped off after the 21-22 injury. So he as well was just a cap dump in this deal. But as you can probably see now that I've established all the pieces involved in this deal, you notice how much value the Blues ended up transferring to the Big Apple. Almost next to nothing, so... Unlike the Horvath trade, I see only one major winner in this exchange. And it is the Rangers, but we'll see if the Blues can acquire back more value in the draft table. Which, though, is a lottery ticket each year. But major gain for the Rangers in my books, and I'm more than thrilled to see my boy in an original 6 uniform in the coming months. So let's hope that my prediction sticks and the Rangers end up making a long push in the offseason. And best of luck for Nico for the remainder of the NHL campaign. The last trade that we saw last week occurred between the Seattle Kraken and the San Jose Sharks as the Sharks' depth defenseman Jacob Megna was dealt to Seattle in exchange for a 2023 conditional fourth-round pick, so it wasn't nowhere near as massive as the ones we saw before and after this one. But the Kraken obtained a very serviceable rugged blue liner in this deal, who will add extra physicality to their blue line in the latter part of the regular season. And as we've come to learn, Ronnie Franchise loves his big demon, and with this move, he adds another wood chopper to their backline, who can hold guys off of their blue paint when need be. So not a major deal by any means, but a beneficial one for the Kraken when looking at their postseason odds. Just last week we got a report from Seattle stating that their Finnish forward Jonas Donskoy was still suffering with concussion symptoms and thus is expected to miss the remainder of the season due to them. And what is even more concerning is the fact that this is his seventh recorded head injury so in the worst case it could lead to severe long-term issues and therefore one can only hope that he's able to fight through this rough patch and consider his future in the NHL afterwards. Just currently, the number one thing is his health and getting back to normal life without major symptoms. Like I've said multiple times, these injuries should never be taken lightly. As we've learned more about head traumas in collision sports through past few years, through brain scans and multiple studies. But just like Jacob Voracek, Donsko is bound to have a real conversation within himself about continuing to play since it could become detrimental for his long-term health, but first and foremost, I'm hoping that he's able to get rid of the symptoms and return to his daily routines because long-term injuries by themselves are not fun to deal with. And when you add to that equation multiple lingering symptoms that you can do absolutely nothing about, it creates a massive puddle of frustration, so let's hope that he's able to fight through it as fast as possible. Gustav Nyquist will also be sidelined for the remainder of the regular season due to his shoulder injury. Meanwhile, Vegas' captain Mark Stone will be out indefinitely after undergoing back surgery last week. Some reports suggest that he would be back when the playoffs kick off, but nothing is concrete yet, so let's hope that he will have a speedy recovery and is able to make his comeback before the postseason because the Golden Knights heavily depend on his elite two-way game on nightly basis. Then on the contract front, we saw four major extensions and one of them was Paul Harvat's contract, so we are just going to leave it at that. But the other three names on that list are Washington's Dylan Strom, Sonny Milano and Buffalo's Dylan Cousins. Strom ended up receiving a five-year extension from the Caps with 5 million AAV, 
And this really didn't surprise me since within the last four years, he has registered one 138 and 148 point season with the Hawks. And he's on his way to break his single season record with the team that grabbed him during last year's offseason. And although his point pace has slowed down a bit since the start partially due to Beckstrom's return, he will be an impactful piece in the organization who can chip in offensively from the middle six on nightly basis. And after getting the bust label before heading to Chicago, he has dragged himself to a level which earns him the big bucks. And although some could still argue that this is way too much for a guy that was expected to be one of the big point getters in the league from his draft year, who ended up failing on that mission, I would still argue that he has proved that he has scoring upside that can be leveraged on the negotiation table. And in my mind, this was a great deal for the Caps who are looking for you to replace their old guard in the coming years. 5 million might be too high for a third-line two-way option with limited scoring upside, but since he has completed his duties in their top six with dignity, I don't have any big complaints about this deal, especially when you consider their future as an organization. And same goes with Milano, who ended up earning a three-year 1.9 million deal with the Caps, who more fits to that previous role of a third-line option, but who can put up decent numbers on the board and even jump up the lineup if need be. Obviously, he's had a rocky stay in the NHL, but he as well has proved that he belongs on this level and now probably gets to stay in the nation's capital for the next three years and be part of their future plans, whichever those might end up being. And lastly, we have Buffalo's young stud Dylan Cousins, who ended up earning his first big check with the Sabres last week, which runs until 2030 with an annual average of 7.1 million per season. So just like they invested in Thompson last summer, they did the same with Cousins, whose deal resembles the one that we spoke about a few weeks ago, more specifically Matt Boldy, and his 7x7 deal. And this deal as well has huge upside because Cousins has improved massively this year and is currently almost on point per game pace. So if this trend continues, he's bound to pass that mark and become one of the biggest deals in the NHL before he's bound for another race in the distant future. He will undoubtedly be one of the main cogs of the Sabres organization going forward and like I've said many times before, this is just going to be the first step on their journey to future heights. So all in all, I'm a massive fan of this deal and feel like the Sabres will be a massive beneficiary due to it in the long run, even though cap management could become a challenge for them due to flux of young prospects coming up their ranks almost simultaneously. And then, as the last news piece of the week, we learned that the Habs goaltender Carey Price's career was coming to its end. Officially, since this week, we heard that he was going to be moving back to British Columbia after the season with his family, which strongly indicates that he will hang up his pads and call it quits once the current NHL season is over. The source told us that he, alongside his entire family, were going to move back to BC which pretty much confirms that he is not going to try to fight his way back onto their blue paint, which has been the assumption since the news broke out about his substance use and mental health problems. And like I said some time ago, the aim for him now most likely is to focus on his health and family now that he has faced the big issues. And after all, he has a long career in the NHL already behind him, and the Habs organization as a whole is going through a rebuild, so... 
it could come down to a situation similar to C. Weber, where he remains in their LTIR and just basically calls it quits. But to that, we will get an answer to only once he's made a public announcement. But we've been waiting for some news on his part for some time now, so don't be surprised to see some headlines concerning his future within the next four to six months, once this season is completely done with. So unfortunate but expected news, at least in my point of view. And then before we head into the postseason talk, I gotta address the NHL All-Star event, which concluded a couple weeks back in Florida. And just like last year, I wanted to say a few words about the event itself and what emotions it brought up to me personally. First and foremost, the setting was great. Florida's beachside was a tremendous location to hold the annual event. But what really bothered me throughout the entire weekend was the lack of people indoors and outdoors because during the on-ice events, the arena resembled Florida's 2018-2019 crowds with only a few thousand people in the stands and that really affected the atmosphere of the entire event. I get that the NHL is really trying to bring the sport to not-so-typical locations, but this year's crowds just really flopped and left a bitter taste in my mouth. The new off-ice events, the splash shot and pigeon puck were great additions just like last year, but what really bothered me throughout the weekend was the fact that these events were cut short after the first round, leaving people hanging for closures, and although I get the point of doing so, it's still screwed with people's anticipation and excitement. When after just one round of splash shot, they throw you back onto the ice and you start to wonder what the heck is going to happen next. Rather than waiting in anticipation to see who exactly won that exact competition. And this bit in every event, the absolute worst was by far the breakaway challenge, which almost felt like a commercial break between the events themselves, so that was a total disaster. You just didn't have any grasp on the action, because moment after another you were going back and forth, not knowing what would happen next. And as you're throwing commercial breaks in between all of this, you may as well just leave the stream and watch the highlights from YouTube afterwards. Less confusion and more action. But like I said, those two off-ice events really delivered and the only major flaw was the pacing, which was way out of whack, but when it comes to the on-ice action, I can't unfortunately say the same for those events. Just I've seen more action on nursing homes chest table and much rather would have cut every piece of hair off my body with nail clippers than enjoy hours upon hours of unnecessary chit chat mixed in with watching the ice dry up. Like seriously, this has to be a new low for the league. Like I said, the breakaway challenge was a total clown show without any meaning. The fastest skater was nothing without league's fastest skaters. The new Tendi Tandem event was more boring than shopping TV. And the NHL even ended up fucking up the accuracy shooting contest with meaningless changes. So, what's left then? The hardest shot? Please, I've already said enough about this circus. 
the games didn't bring that much more to the whole event either. So for next year, I would suggest that you pay more attention to the on-ice product and cut down the ice surface for more action for 3-on-3. So in conclusion, I had my hopes up for this year's event. The off-ice product was innovative and well-orchestrated, but the on-ice action plus the pacing was just horrendous. So this didn't end up being any more entertaining than what it was just a year ago. And Trevor Zegers' sleeping emoji tweet pretty well concludes my thoughts from this fan event. Get rid of the one player per each team rule, shrink down the ice surface on 3-on-3 three three division games, and bring more skill to the on-ice product, rather than creating a slow-paced, who-cares show. For example, bring Pavel Barber in to give his take on the skills competition. Thank you. But those are pretty much my thoughts from this year's All-Star event, so hopefully next year I get to see some of those changes when we meet again in Toronto, highlighted by the duo of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. I can already guarantee you that. Next we move on to postseason watch as we go through each team and their biggest needs and possible trade targets for the upcoming NHL trade deadline. We will start from the Eastern Conference where teams still in the playoff hunt are the top teams Carolina, New Jersey, Rangers, Boston, Toronto and Tampa Bay alongside current wildcard candidates Capitals, Penguins, Islanders, Panthers and the Sabres. The top three teams from each division are fairly sound at this point as the point differences between the last teams in the division and the first wildcard teams are six and eight points so Although it might not sound like much at this stage of the season, even those kinds of differences will become massive as you don't only find against those teams, but teams alongside you craving for wildcard tickets to the postseason. So we might see some changes within the top threes, but more so the battle for wildcard spots is going to end up being gruesome, especially here in the Eastern Conference. But now let's head to look at each team's needs in which they should focus on during the last portion of this year's campaign. Starting off with the Bruins, whose fairy tale season has surprised many fans, and their current record of 39-7-5 might suggest that there really isn't anything to be worried about when it comes to their current roster. Top 6 is one of the strongest in the league, Linus Olmark is having himself a legendary year, and defense has been one of the best in the league while depth scoring, which has been their biggest weakness through the past few seasons, has emerged as one of their biggest strengths during this year's campaign. Like we've seen with the Avs and the Bolts, their lineup is stacked to the fullest and thus, if they aim to fight for the Stanley Cup this year, they could add few more names to amp up their depth, even more especially for the defensive roles. Same goes with their defense, because we all know that injuries will become part of each team's worry list, so having extra depth is never a bad thing to have, and like many favorites, that would be an area which I would focus on before the deadline eventually closes. Otherwise, the special teams have been solid, goaltending has been outstanding and they have the ability to score goals, so currently extra depth is where I would focus on in regards to this particular team. No big changes are needed in B-Town, so maybe by adding one defensive center and one winger could be all they would need in order to maximize their chances for the upcoming postseason run or if they end up adding another boosting defenseman to their backline, such as Luke Shen, 
I think it would make them that much nastier team to play against, which I would like to see now that I think about it. But pretty simple, so let's move on to next team on the board, the Carolina Hurricanes. And like I mentioned in the previous iteration, the loss of Max Pacioretty is a major one on the score sheet. But with that, they also cleared up 7 million to their cap space and overall have approximately 10 million in their cap space to spend, which could mean that the team will go bolt on the wall in this year's deadline. One glaring hole in their current lineup is the second line center spot since Jesperi Kotkaniemi hasn't been able to take the next step offensively. So to complement highly skilled forwards Martin Nages and Andrei Svechnikov, they could use a prolific center with strong offensive game or even relocate Nages to the center spot, drop Seth Jarvis to their second line and acquire a name like Timo Meyer or Patrick Kane to their first line wing, depending of course on his decision to leave Chicago. They are pretty deep defensively as well, but by adding one more name to their blue line could bring extra assurance to their D-zone play. So if Don Waddell decides to invest in this year's deadline, we could see them making one or two moves before the clock actually runs out. But overall, the gamebook for the Canes is fairly wide open because there are multiple names that could fit the bill, depending on their approach. So don't be surprised to see top names such as Meyer, Kane, Chikrin, O'Reilly, Duclair, Taves, Kostisphere, Domba and even Kavrikov being linked to this team. But overall, I'm expecting a very enticing deadline for this team given the few glaring weaknesses on their roster and a massive cap space to work with. But certainly, I would imagine that the second line center spot is going to be their main area of focus at the trade frenzy deadline. Next up, we got the New Jersey Devils, and for this team, the selection is a bit more trickier since I just don't feel like this team is going to go all in on the deadline despite their success this year. They are still building the foundation for their success beyond this year, and when looking at their current lineup, you notice a lot of young names on the roster mixed in with few veterans supporting this next wave of Devils. And in my opinion, they are still missing few pieces from their top six in order to become a real threat on the East while depth could be added to both the offense as well as the defense to bring some certainty for the last part of the NHL campaign. Jack Hughes has been carrying this team's offense and is quickly becoming their biggest X-factor, while Dougie Hamilton has rebounded to his elite level offensively, and off-season acquisition Vitek Vanecek has found a new gear to his gearbox, and is posting excellent numbers between their pipes. So that's why I don't have many predictions regarding this team because to my eyes there are many spots that could be enhanced if they were looking to really go for it. But when you look at their prospect pool and notice how stacked it is, it makes you wonder if they would sacrifice one or two pieces in order to grow their chances for the upcoming years, if that isn't something they look out for during the actual offseason. And by that I mean making a big move, which could be extremely possible. So what I think this team is going to do is to add one or two pieces to their bottom six, likely guys that have some term left on their contracts to bolster their more defensive lines, and maybe add one more name to their top six if they really want to play with the big boys in the spring season. But that's all I have to say about this team. I believe that they don't want to blow their tires quite yet and more enjoy this run that they are currently having and more so focus on making bigger moves in the offseason when there is no rush to make any drastic changes. I might be completely off, but that is just my point of view. 
But keep your eyes on Timo Meyer and Brock Besser because those guys could be good fits for their first two lines. So just a small heads up for you, bud. Next we head to Toronto and just like previous years, this team most likely is trying to add more depth to their roster because they don't have that much cap space to work with. And at the end of the day, the core is still in place. So I don't think that we should expect anything more than that. Of course, Jake Mussin's injury will alleviate some cap room to operate with. But simultaneously, that leaves a massive mark on their blue line. So one big add they could make would be to try to replace him on their blue line. But other than that, I think the focus will be on their bottom six like years prior. For example, Matt Dumba could be an interesting piece to have on their top four if they decide to lean on Rasmus Sandin, who has been somewhat questionable at the big stage before. But guys like Jake McCabe, Nick Bukestad, Sam Lafferty and Ivan Barbashev could be targets for the Leafs ahead of this year's deadline. We'll see though what Dubas has in store for us because it's going to be another make or break year for the Leafs to put it simply. Tampa's situation is fairly similar but I would imagine that they would aim to strengthen their top six and they throw some more due to recent losses of Andre Palat and Ryan McDonough. Nick Perbix has emerged as a serviceable bottom pairing option but still Jack Bogosian's presence on their first pairing could be questioned. And that is why I see Julian Brisbois trying to pull some strings before the actual deadline. What those strings could look like is a great question in which I don't have an answer to. And that is exactly why we are going to withdraw and wait for any headlines to arise since I'm 100% sure that they won't stay on the line of fire and will go after it when their GM finds the right deals to execute on. So stay tuned when it comes to this team. Then we got the Blue Shirts, a.k.a. the Rangers, and due to their most recent trade, they are looking pretty good for the upcoming postseason. They are right at the cap ceiling currently, so I wouldn't expect any drastic changes anymore, but certainly I believe that GM Drury would love to add at least one more name to both offense and defense in case of injuries start to pile up. But just like the Devils, their bottom six is fairly young, and thus I believe that they are still on the hunt to enhance that void. But other than that... Like I said, they focused on their weaknesses and patched those with Tarasenko deal. So I'm really hopeful in regards to this team and their long spring season as a whole. But one or two moves could still be made if they manage their cap space correctly, which is easier said than done. Next up, we got the dog cage, aka the wild cards, which includes Washington, Pittsburgh, Islanders, Panthers and the Sabres. Currently, the best odds are with the Pens and the Sabres, given that they have played three to five games less than the others in the running. But, for example, the Penguin squad has shown some real issues during the last stretch of games. So, despite the odds, they certainly are not in the clear when it comes to extra tickets to the spring dance. But let's head to Washington first and see where I could see some improvements before the deadline closes. The Caps are pretty much the divider between the top teams and the wannabes in the East. They have been mediocre offensively as well as defensively, but not totally catastrophic or great on either end. Goaltending has held. Both Kemper and Lindgren have exceeded expectations thus far, but major injuries have yet again slowed down their progress and could end up being the final decider. They have depth up top, although their top six scoring has dropped down a bit from previous years. 
So if they aim to have a lengthy stay in the postseason and first of all make it there, their top guns would need to elevate their game in order to battle against the powerhouses of this conference. Defense to me though is the concern since currently John Carlson is still out of their lineup and no one knows exactly if and when he's able to make his comeback, which is a major blow for the entire team. And although Eric Gustafsson has become one of their best teammen this year, they don't ooze confidence when compared to the likes of New Jersey, Boston or even Carolina. So can this team really withstand the rough patches without key player production and with mediocre core overall is my real question. After all, the team has aged quite a bit since its glory days, and if you say that Marcus Johansson is still a very prolific top six option on the next level, I would certainly disagree with you on that. Anthony Mantha has had another disappointing season and has been dropped to their third line, just like Evgeny Kuznetsov, so could, for example, Lars Eller become expendable if they aim to strengthen their team ahead of the deadline. He's currently playing fourth line minutes and they could use some help defensively, so could Mantha and Eller work as marketing chips in order to make few adjustments to their roster before their push towards the playoffs. I fully believe that they will make some moves before the closure, but what moves those might be, I don't have an answer to since the game is pretty much wide open due to their own inner issues. Some sources have bounced around the idea to trade Mantha one for one for Damba, but in my opinion they would need to spice up the deal to get it through, taking into account their recent performances. But those are pretty much my thoughts regarding this team. They are not looking like a complete disaster, but some small improvements should be made, or otherwise their stay in the postseason could become very, very short, very, very fast. Then we have their arch nemesis, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are basically in a similar situation where they are not completely awful on any front, but have looked shaky, especially as of late, which brings up the question, what they could do to enhance their chances for the postseason. To some both of these teams, I think it will come down to their hunger against the younger teams in the league, and if they can survive the onslaught because they got experience all over their lineup, but speed has become even bigger factor in recent years, so can they keep up and use their experience to their advantage during the tough games of the spring season? And unlike the Caps, the Pens don't have that much room to maneuver cap space-wise, so if they could shed some cap in a deal, it would help them drastically to bolster their current lineup before entering the playoff conversation. Brian Dumoulin and Brian Rust are having bad years, so those guys would need to step up, but most likely the Pens aim to shed some cap while acquiring that pieces to their lineup, because otherwise they aren't in a major ditch in my eyes, despite their recent run of play. So I'm not expecting anything drastic to happen, but more so for them to work their cap and add few depth pieces. And for me, a guy like Dmitry Kulikov would make sense, but more than anything, the next 10 to 15 games will be more than important for this team if they want the challenge for the Lord Stanley again this year. The Isles, on the other hand, already made their big investment when they acquired Bo Horvat, but as I mentioned, I wouldn't be surprised to see them acquiring one more name to their roster before the clock runs out because they have been one of the worst teams on the East offensively and have a traffic jam on the center spot. Jean-Gabriel Peugeot most likely is the obvious candidate to head out despite his new deal alongside few veterans, but I think that is more likely to happen during the offseason rather than at the deadline, but no one knows what Uncle Lou is going to do if he wants to battle with the best of them 
later during the spring. Their depth is alright up top, but undoubtedly top 6 and bottom pairing on the blue line could use some work. But who could they acquire who would fit the bill is the bigger question here. So I still could see them making at least one more move to make themselves even bigger threat in the East. But goal scorers are not cheap in the current market, so what they would be willing to sacrifice is a great question to ask. And therefore, we stay to wait what kind of magic Lou is able to perform, or if any, before the postseason rolls around. Next up we got the Panthers, and I think it should be fairly obvious what is the main area of concern for this team when talking about their biggest weakness this year. It has been their defense, as I assumed, ahead of this season, so any help they could get could come in handy. But the problem here is that they lack the assets to make any drastic changes if they don't decide to sacrifice their few prospects, which could be very possible option here. This year it has more come down to their top two lines inability to perform on a level they were expected to, which also includes their number one defenseman Aaron Ekblad. And despite their three-game winning streak, I just don't have similar belief in them than the years prior and now that their roster has seemingly got weaker from those days, it doesn't bring too much confidence knowing how they've faltered during the postseason previously. They would need some work on both the defensive side as well as the bottom six, not mentioning the inconsistent performances in net. So, unfortunately, only way I can see them making the playoffs and advancing there further is by dealing away one or two names up top to free up some cap space and using that to add a solid name to their blue line. And of course, their top guys would need to pick themselves up, but those are the drugs I would take as a Panther if I would like to head to the postseason itself. Otherwise, start creating some space money-wise and focus on next year, but I think they are going to do everything in their power to get the team going like they have during their last three games. And the last team on the list currently is the Buffalo Sabres, who have played three games less than the Caps and thus still have their grip on the postseason door handle. They've been excellent offensively and just like the team before them, would need to make some changes defensively to gain an upper hand when it comes to race for the postseason. But like the Devils, I don't believe that they aim to make any drastic changes despite their great performances, since their young guns are coming along nicely and they don't possess the firepower that most teams above them do. So the wise decision most likely would be to see how far they are able to go and hold the assets until the offseason and make them count when the market is more favorable for them. After all, the team is extremely young, and for example, UP Lukonen has started to climb towards the blue paint throne, so to me it would be idiotic to go full steam this deadline and sacrifice valuable assets just to be on the hunt for a possible playoff spot. So therefore, I don't see them making any special moves on the deadline. They could add one or two names that could be resigned in the offseason, but their current roster to me just isn't strong enough to battle away against the big dogs in the conference and would like to see them riding this one out as far as they can while giving some promise to their fan base for a brighter future. If they wanted to make it splash, for example, Thatcher Demko could be an option in net which would significantly boost their position for the playoffs, but I'm not completely sure if they are willing to give up many assets quite yet to make that happen at this year's deadline. But that is my thought which also concludes the Easter Conference, so last, we will head to West and see which voids could be fixed for each team at the trade deadline. 
First, we got the current top six teams, Dallas, Winnipeg, Colorado, Vegas, Seattle, and Edmonton. And for the wildcard spots, we pretty much have a three-way battle between LA, Minnesota, and Calgary. Nashville technically is still in the race because of less games played, but nine points is way too steep hill to be climbed, at least in my opinion. But let's head to finish off this week's episode with these previously mentioned teams. Dallas kicks things off, and like Boston in the East, they are pretty set for the postseason with terrific top six, solid depth, strong back end, and tremendous goaltender. So currently, there are no glaring weaknesses inside for this bunch. But what I would look for at the deadline would be depth on both the offensive as well as defensive fronts, especially since currently their bottom six isn't that physical, so one big body with defensive capability could do wonders for them, while maybe adding one more name to their backline in case injuries end up hurting their decor. One could also entertain the idea to try to add another name to their top six since if Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan end up playing bottom six minutes plus special teams, they could use another scorer in their top six if you would ask me. But more than anything, I would try to bolster their bottom six since guys like Johnston, Delandria and Studenich are not postseason veterans. And if they could, for example, use Gurianov to add one more piece in there, they would free up some cap while adding reliable two-way option to grind out the opposing teams. I think that the biggest need can be found exactly there, since otherwise on paper they look solid and their game style this year has been executed to almost perfection, so I think they wouldn't need to address more than that besides maybe by adding another veteran presence on their backline to bring in some certainty, but that's about it. But don't count out the possibility where they add another name to their top six because that is possible if they manage to flex out their cap. But that's the plan that I would go with concerning this current Stars bunch. Keep your eyes on Patty Kane and JVR. Those guys would mean some cap gymnastics, but never say never. Next we head to Sin City, which undoubtedly has seen some action through its young history. So this year's deadline could be another one where we see them making some drastic moves if history eventually happens to repeat itself. And due to their reputation, likes of Patrick Kane and Ryan O'Reilly have been rumored to be linked to this team, but it will be a pipe dream until they alleviate some space to their cap, which is right up there at the league max. As I mentioned before, Mark Stone will be out until the postseason, so that is something they have to worry about. But other than that, their roster is pretty solidly in place and ready to head for the postseason, if you ask me. Maybe by adding one or two depth pieces would enhance their odds even more, but for the most part, I think they are not down to make any massive moves at the deadline. Or if they are, it would mean that some guys would be heading elsewhere inside that package, but they are another team to look out for when the clock starts ticking. They haven't been as strong defensively as many other teams in the conference, and I believe that partially that is because of their net monitors, but you also got to remember that currently they are running with a tandem of Logan Thompson and Edin Hill, which hasn't really been tested in the postseason, so even though they have exceeded some expectations, I feel like they are not bound for an explosive deadline. But at the same time, I have this gut feeling that says that something will happen which we might not even expect, but... We'll see what the outcome ends up being. Then we have the Winnipeg Jets who have surprised many fans with their this year's performance. And just like I mentioned a few episodes ago, 
their biggest need can be found from their bottom six, which is not filled with seasoned veterans or elite bottom six two-way grinders. Top six in goaltending, are there clear strong suits and even defense has been as good as I anticipated it to be already last year so? With their available 90 million cap space, they could address those weaknesses easily to make themselves even bigger threat for the opposing Western teams. So all in all, most guys named previously could fit the description of what this team is looking for, but since they have such a large total freed up in their cap, it's tough to say exactly how they are going to use it, but to me, bottom six and scoring help would be the points I would look into. The playbook is fairly wide open, so I really hope that they make best of their situation and don't just throw away money in desperation to just make few moves. After Winnipeg, we head to another Canadian city, Edmonton, and it should be fairly obvious which areas on their lineup need the work the most when looking at their recent history and lineup as a whole. Top six certainly isn't something to be worried about, especially now that Evander Kane has made his way back there. But other than that, the game is pretty wide open. Defense would certainly need some work ahead of the postseason given their current goalie dilemma. While forward depth has been an issue for years now and still seems to be a real concern when compared to the other top teams in the league. And what is the real issue here is the fact that they are right up there at the cap ceiling and once Kyler Yamamoto returns from his injury, It is believed that the Oilers will make a move on their upcoming RFA, Jesse Puljujärvi, whether it means trading him elsewhere for minimal return or just plainly pushing him to the wayward wire, like Nashville did with Eli Tolvanen. So it isn't looking good for him either currently. But since they have such massive holes on both offense and defense, it is hard to try to predict the outcome of their deadline. Because regardless, players will be moving out of town, that's guaranteed. And because of that, their returns could vary massively depending on the package they are going to be sending the other way. But without questions, more defensive-minded options should be on the radar when it comes down to the deadline clock. And they still have some work to do before clinching their ticket to the postseason, so I would expect to see them making some moves rather quickly to maximize their chances of bringing in the best possible options for their team needs. So we'll see what the approach is going to be for their GM, Ken Holland. Then we move to the newest franchise in the NHL whose tremendous start has boosted them up to the playoff conversation and with a solid finish, they should see themselves within the top 16 when the regular season comes to its conclusion. Currently their biggest strength is undoubtedly depth which was boosted even more after the acquisition of Eli Tolvanen who has brought another scoring element to their four lines and pretty much the only glaring weakness that they currently possess can be found from their crease since if they want to advance further from the first round, they are going to need solid goaltending. And unfortunately, I'm not sure if Grubauer and Jones is the tandem to take them that far from their first seven-game matchup. That's your Demko, Carol Vemilka and James Reimer are currently the hottest goalie options available on the market. But since the Kraken currently already have three NHL-caliber netminders signed, it could cause some trouble while trying to fill in few more holes on the skater front. It's obvious that they are currently lacking an X-factor from their lineup, so guys like Meyer and even O'Reilly could be of interest for them. But in order to acquire them, they would need to shed some cap, and that is currently a problem they could be facing. 
They just added Jacob Magna to their back end, so depth shouldn't be an issue. But getting a guy like John Klingberg, Jacob Chikrin, or Shane Gostisfair could add some value offensively. So once again, it's going to be interesting to see what their approach ends up being when the clock starts ticking. They could try to look for big-time names at the deadline in order to speed up their progress, but you also got to remember that they have just entered the league and most likely are looking beyond just this season, and therefore, I don't see them risking their future in an effort to try to salvage the best outcome from their great success from this regular season. But really, don't count them out of the trade market since I feel like Ron Francis doesn't want to see this season totally going to waste And that is why I can see them making one or two moves to improve their position in the ongoing postseason race. Then we move to the last top six team in the West, the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche. And after last year's success, you could argue that they have plenty of holes to be fixed before the deadline closes because of multiple departures from the team during the offseason. But that isn't necessarily the case since most of their back end has stayed the same from last year and most of their depth options have remained on their bottom six. So, to me, the situation isn't as critical as it seemed to be once we learned about the departures after their Stanley Cup victory. This year injuries have really piled up for them and, for example, their captain Gabriel Landeskog has yet to make his season debut, so... Could we see another Nikita Kucherov-esque situation where he sits out until the postseason and the Avs make use of their available cap space and end up adding a big-time name to their roster in order to really obtain back the Stanley Cup favorite label ahead of the playoffs? I mean, certainly by adding a name like Meyer, O'Reilly or Kane would really make that happen. So since their GM, Joe Sakic, has more knowledge on Laneskuk's situation, He's going to use that to his advantage, and I fully believe that they are going to do everything in their power to strengthen themselves even more before the deadline is over. Their defense and goaltending have been solid this year, so I believe that they are going to focus on the offensive front, and as a defending champ, you are going to gather a different kind of interest, and thus have your platter full of options. The question being, who are they going to go after? Especially now that Tarasenko was acquired by the Rangers. I believe that if Kane ends up leaving, it's going to be a battle between the Stars and the Avs to acquire him. But certainly, O'Reilly would add some much-needed certainty to their second-line center spot without forgetting Meyer, who could slot in their top six as easily as well. So we'll see, but at least I'm expecting something big to happen in regards to Mile High City. And the last three teams that we are going to go over this week are the LA Kings, Minnesota Wild, and the Calgary Flames. The Kings' biggest headache can be found from their crease because Jonathan Quick has underperformed massively this year, while Cal Peterson and his $5 million deal has become one of the worst deals in the league. So how are they going to address that issue is a major question heading into the upcoming trade deadline. Previously mentioned tendies are certainly on Rob Lake's shortlist and overall they could use their assets to their advantage if they want to gain more traction for the postseason. Because currently in my eyes they are good but not Stanley Cup caliber and would need to address more than their blue paint in order to change that view to be completely honest. Kevin Fiala has been tremendous addition to their squad and will be a valuable asset in the postseason as well. 
but I would love to see more firepower up front, just like the Isles on the eastern side. And while their defense is fairly solid on paper, it has showed its weaknesses this year and thus could use some work before they march on to the postseason, no doubt. Sean Walker, Matt Rua have been in the trade rumors for some time now. And to me, for example, Jacob Chickering would make a lot of sense when looking at their current needs. So just like I said, I could see multiple different paths for this team for the deadline, but goaltending without a doubt should be the focal point when it comes to additions during the shot clock. I don't know if they are quite ready for the dance yet, but by making few moves they should enhance their chances of going beyond the first round. Just like we saw last year, the team is stronger than many would believe, and therefore, I believe that they have their sights set to at least the second round. But intriguing times ahead for this team as well, so we'll see who they end up reeling in when the phones start ringing. Minnesota as well is in a similar situation where they have good depth but haven't been able to score goals like years prior. Their defense has been solid this year and their goaltending have started to pick up the slack so the game is pretty wide open for them in regards to deadline acquisitions, at least in my point of view. They have cap space to use to their advantage, so adding a real goal scorer to their ranks alongside Caprizo could do wonders, but who that might be is another question on its own. Center spot is the glaring weakness to me, so that could be the place they end up spending their marbles on, but for example, adding an offensive D-man to their backline could provide them some insurance during the postseason, because defensively, they got nothing to worry about. But overall, I see many similarities to LA, where they have a few good producers and strong backline, but something just seems to be missing, so... We'll see if they end up finding that something at the deadline or if they end up cruising to the sunset with their current core and focus on improving the team in the offseason. So nothing new to Mini if you paid any attention to their previous few seasons. And the last team on the list this week is going to be the Calgary Flames and against most odds, they've struggled more than expected and really have to put on a battle if they want to advance to the postseason itself. From the West. Top end scoring has been a bit underwhelming. Markstrom has been anything but impressive in their crease, and they've allowed way too many goals compared to overall goals scored on top of their horrendous power play percentage. So, what could be done? I mean, that is a real good question because on paper they should be one of the top teams in the conference, but this year's results don't reflect that, and I don't know what could be done roster wise to turn the tide regarding this franchise. Of course, you could add a well-known name to your top six to possibly boost the scoring numbers, but at the end of the day, guys like Blindholm and Toffoli have carried their loads, so pretty much it has come down to Huberto, Weger, and Kadri to bring their numbers up this year. And they've tried to get those guys going, but nothing seems to work, and likewise, neither of their netminders has been able to really stop Bucks at critical moments, so... Can they even divert their course at this stage of the regular season? After all, the games will only get tighter from this point on, and every point will count, so is there anything that could be added to this mix to get them over this hump after all? My answer is no, and in my mind it has to come within if they aim for the postseason, because like I said, the team on paper is sound enough to fight for wins each night, but currently... 
These guys are not playing up to expectations and that's why they have as steep of a hill to climb before clocking into the postseason. Defensively, you could add one more name to fill in the hole left by Oliver Shillington, but other than that, I don't see any critical weaknesses in their lineup. They have size, speed and skill, so quite literally, as their GM, I would just wait out and see if these guys want to fight for the Stanley Cup or to just look for adjustments in the offseason if need be. They've been a huge disappointment and although they still are tied with many in points, that difference could grow if they don't get their game together and Wild end up making moves at the deadline to separate themselves from this team point-wise. So just like in Florida, it could end up being a massive disappointment for the team after a very successful previous regular season, but don't count the chickens before they had since Sutter is a heck of a coach and could perform some black magic when the time starts to run out for his team. During previous campaigns, they've added at the deadline, but since they are currently in a tight cap situation, that could change this year, so we'll see how their GM Brad Treeliving sees their current situation before the final stretch of the regular season. But overall, I feel like teams are not going to be gun-shy this year and are really going to go at it at the deadline, so expect to see major changes once again in the coming weeks once the shot clock starts to run out for all teams involved in the playoff conversation. Let me know what's your view on the current NHL atmosphere, and if you feel like this has just been the first beat for a highly energetic trade deadline, and also make sure to follow and rate the show on Spotify, because that really boosts the visibility and makes everyone else know about this weekly clown show. It only takes few seconds and really helps the podcast to grow, which is the main goal after all. Since I really try to get the latest headlines and interesting topics on display for you each week, so I really hope that you appreciate the effort and are also willing to show it. But either way, thank you so much for listening. This ended up being a bit longer episode than the previous few, but at least we have now covered the upcoming trade deadline as well as the teams that should be heavily involved in the action in the next coming weeks. So I hope that you enjoyed full-heartedly. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.